It seems like blockchain is all the buzz today. Twice I've been this scared in my life. <laughs> But what is it, and why is it regarded as such a revolutionary technology? It is a mechanism for creating trust in environments where individuals may not trust each other. Uh, that's uh, a big deal and something that is going to matter a lot to communicators. Hi, I'm Elliot Mizrahi, Vice President for Communications and Thought Leadership at Page. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to season two of the new CCO podcast, where we explore what it takes to be a next-gen CCO. At the 2018 Page Spring Seminar, we heard from a panel of blockchain experts about what it is, why it has the potential to be as transformational as the internet itself, and how it can disrupt so many industries, including our own. Today, we'll bring you the first half of that conversation. We'll pick up with moderator Tamika Tilleman of the Global Blockchain Business Council, who spoke with Sandra Rowe of UWIN Corp, and Joshua Ashley Clayman of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance Legal Working Group. I want to start, before we get into the details uh, of the technology, by just asking a, a quick series of questions, if I can, of all of you. How many of you, prior to arriving at today's session, had heard the term blockchain? Hopefully most of you. All right, oh, we're doing all right. <laughs> yes. uh, how many of you have, uh, feel like you could explain blockchain to your neighbor uh, over the backyard fence? A few hands, not, not, not as many, a few hands. How many of you have actually used blockchain uh, in some form? Very few hands. How many of your companies or organizations are using blockchain or considering using blockchain? More hands, all right. Um, so we have our work cut out for us, but this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Blockchain at its core is a record, and records are certainly nothing new. Humanity has been playing with records in various forms since the time of the Sumerians about 5,500 years ago. But it combines two attributes that enable us to do things that we have never been able to do previously. Uh, the first is that it is distributed. What does that mean? Blockchains are maintained on thousands of computers around the world simultaneously, in the case of public blockchains. All of these computers store a copy of the record, and they're all constantly checking each other to ensure the accuracy of the record and the validity of the information that is entered into the record. This is a big deal because it ensures that information that is recorded is supposed to be recorded, and once information is entered into the record, and this takes us to the second uh, big thing you need to remember about blockchain technology, it is permanent. You can update the information, but you cannot erase it. Each new block of data is chained, hence the name, uh, into a system that means you cannot change anything in that record without changing everything in the record. And again, because all of these computers are checking each other, that isn't going to happen. What it means, practically speaking, is that you have a system that is extremely secure, it's extremely transparent, it encourages very high levels of accountability and transparency, and beyond that, uh, it is a mechanism for creating trust in environments where individuals may not trust each other. Uh, that's uh, a big deal and something that is going to matter a lot to communicators. I think Marjorie is going to Just do a Hail Mary. I was waiting for your... <laughs> I'm going to come around the other way and be discreet, but thank you, uh, 
I, I, I thought you were going to uh, give me an overarm pass and uh, was, was looking forward to catching it. Um, but what that means, again, for practical purposes, is that this is a new tool, a new mechanism for codifying trust. That is something that is going to matter to a lot of industries. It's especially going to matter to communicators. And I want to start by spending a couple of minutes talking through the technology uh, with Sandra and Josh. And then after that, we're hoping to pivot to a conversation of how this is going to affect the work that you do uh, every day. And then we'll look at some specific use cases and applications that have big potential for communicators in the blockchain space. So Sandra, starting with you, you have uh, an extraordinary background in financial services. And I was in conversation a few days ago with the head of strategy at one of the largest financial institutions in the world. And he told me that the most important thing they were getting out of blockchain is that it was forcing them to revisit all of their assumptions around how their institutions operated. Can you tell us a little bit about why that would be and uh, how this is going to change the game in, in that sector? And then we'll go from there into a discussion of how it will change the game in other sectors. Sure. Uh Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, for those uh, who may not know me, and that's most of you in the room, uh, my background comes from being a derivatives banker on the trading floors of Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley in London. And then I moved over to CME Group, which is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Group, uh, well, six, seven years ago, actually, and ran their FX and metals uh, research and product development and eventually their digitization blockchain arm. So my experience really stems from a trading perspective in the traditional markets as well now, looking at digital assets and crypto and blockchain. And I absolutely agree that uh, the statement that your um, strategist at BNY Mellon stated, which is there's been a complete rethink in many categories, not all categories, but in many areas of post-trade in particular for the banks and the custodians and the um, asset managers and, and anyone in the financial ecosystem. And there's also been a rethink that's now percolating to the front end of financial services, which ultimately then touches consumers regarding payments, regarding record keeping, regarding the way content is delivered even to the end user. Um, let me break it down to two buckets. So I call it the front end and then the back end, simply put. The back end is actually the most interesting from a bank standpoint, uh, for example, or clearinghouse standpoint, because there are a lot of inefficiencies. Um, a lot of people doing reconciliation around, did this trade happen? And do both sides agree that this trade happened with these details? You would think pretty simple stuff. Well, multiply that by millions of transactions and trillions of dollars worth of transactions. All of a sudden, every single small mistake that might be 0.01 of a decimal point actually matters. And you could have millions of dollars of losses because you don't get that stuff right. And that is why we've got armies of people sitting in back office doing these functions, because actually they're quite critical. And yes, there are mistakes every day, or just conflict, right? Just that things don't reconcile properly because somebody keyed in something wrong or they just don't agree. So long story short, that's sort of the obvious low-hanging fruit for blockchain, meaning if you were able to record transactions in a way that are um, basically agreed upfront and then reconciled, and you don't need the reconciliation, actually, it's already confirmed, you're done, you're good. 
and you actually could take a lot of people stuff out of this. And, and that's really the whole process. Is the thought process is how could you take things that can be automated and can you make them automated in a way that you kind of human proof certain things? Doesn't mean humans go away. You'd actually need humans for a lot of functions still. Front end. Front end is where I think it's the most interesting piece that's now coming into play, which are opportunities for financial services, which are how do you deliver better customer experience? How do you deliver content and data in a way that's more secure? And these things are just beginning to occur, which is things like smart contracts, which we can talk about later. But um, these applications are now things that you could build on top of blockchains, which can actually be more efficient. Um, we can get into more details, but I think Josh also has some thoughts on this and also has a disclaimer I think you've got. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So my disclaimer is nothing I say is legal advice, nothing is investment advice, nothing's on behalf of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance. I also, by the way, co-chair the, the Blockchain and Smart Contracts Group at Mor Morrison and Forrester, but nothing I say is on behalf of them either, so just forget <laughs> that you Spoken like that a part. true okay. attorney. Yes. So now that we're all Josh friends. Josh consulted with her communications professionals <laughs> prior to. Exactly, exactly. So I think one thing that Sandra said, or many things that Sandra said, are very true. And one point that I'd just like to raise, just more broadly across industries, is this idea of revisiting and re-examining our assumptions about things. So many people say, what is so exciting about this database? Why is everyone changing the world over a database? Why, <laughs> why is this a big deal? You know, we have databases. But the thing is, it's bigger than the database. It's not just about the database. In many senses, it seems as though there is a movement towards decentralization generally and to re-examining, as Sandra was saying, the relationships between different parties. So maybe flattening certain hierarchies, maybe removing certain intermediaries, maybe taking back things that, as individuals that we might normally have entrusted to others. So I think, I mean, there are myriad use cases or potential use cases, some better than others, but a lot of this is a re-examination of relationships generally. So let's build on this a little bit, because I think it's a crucial point. I'm a big fan of the historian Yuval Hariri, uh, and many of you will be familiar with his work, but he asks a very fundamental question, which is why do human beings run the world? Why are we in charge? In principle, it could be jellyfish, it could be orangutans. There's no reason why we are the ones that do what we do. And he surveys the landscape and eventually comes up with two answers to this question. The, the first thing that we can do uh, is we can cooperate flexibly. But there are other species that can cooperate flexibly. You've got dolphins and wolves that also have figured out how to do that. But the second thing we do is we cooperate at scale. And yet there are other species like bees or ants that are able to cooperate at scale. We're the only species that combines those two to cooperate flexibly at scale. And the way we do it, and this is where I think it goes to the points that you were making, is we come to agreement around a certain set of facts. And once we have those facts in place, once we have established that base layer of reality, we are able to go off and do amazing things. We can collaborate, we can exchange, we can build, all because we have a common understanding of a certain set of fundamentals that we know to be true. Historically, humanity has relied on institutions to maintain those facts. We have had governments, we have had financial institutions, we've had companies that have been responsible for serving as the custodians uh, of the information that makes up that base layer of reality. 
The reason that blockchain is intriguing to me, and I think intriguing to a lot of people, is it provides a new mechanism for validating the information that makes up that base layer of reality. It provides a new mechanism for establishing the trust that all of us need in those facts in order to go out and start a company, in order to go out uh, and exchange uh, commercially, uh, or to establish the validity of information. And this is, I think, one of the most crucial aspects of the technology for communicators. Uh, and, and Sandra, I'm gonna ask you for help on this. The same technology that can be used and is being used now to validate bank transactions potentially has very significant implications when we're trying to push back against false information or to use the current, although I loathe it, buzzword of the day, fake news. What does it mean to have a, a mechanism, a global independent vehicle that allows us to effectively notarize information as it appears? Yeah, uh, it's no coincidence that blockchain and a lot of this discussion and rethink happened post-financial crisis, right? Bitcoin was launched, the protocol was launched publicly in January of 2009. Uh, the white paper came out in November of 2008. Uh, that's the first instance of this, where they took cryptography that had been around for decades, married that with you know, a couple other concepts that had been around from an economic standpoint, and brought that together under what we now know as the Bitcoin protocol. So when you think about that rethink, it's no surprise that it was during the post-financial crisis um, fallout. But where I actually think we need to take a look at is the nature of data. And that was alluded to by the Learning Labs as a major session that will be happening, which is data is not yesterday's data, meaning it is not just information now. That data of the future, and actually it's evolving right now as we speak, actually has value. So it becomes money. In a world where data is information and money, what happens? A lot of stuff starts happening. And in tomorrow's world, who are the, who are the winners of data? Well, I put them in three categories, and I'll go back to answering your question in, in properly, but the source of the data, meaning your data is unique, you're the owner of that data, you have power and influence. Uh, you're the distributor of the data, you are the pipes, the most pervasive pipes around the world who do it efficiently will win. And then the third category is a much broader category, which is data analytics. The people who run the analytics to be able to define the gems amongst all of the junk that's gonna be out there, they're gonna to win too. Um, and then there's a fourth category I've only recently added to my sort of thesis around breaking up all the data players, is people who create value out of the data, so meaning, Either you digitize something that's physical, let's say there's a use case where in real estate, what if you could digitize your ownership of your house and you could liquidate half of it, meaning you could sell fractional ownership of your house, 50%, but you still own the other 50%. Can you do that today legally? No, I don't think you can, maybe you can. I guess there's timeshares, but it's hard to do. But what if you could do that really easily? What happens to the nature of ownership of things? Um, what if you digitized financial contracts? And there's a number of different elements that could happen. And this is where then information and data is value. And this is where the token and crypto element comes in, which is why I think actually people care so much about blockchain. It's not necessarily the data efficiencies from saving money for um, you know, processes. It's actually, I think people are beginning to realize 
all of a sudden now things are going to be digital money. And I think that's the piece that really kind of captivates people's attention. I don't blame people for being captivated by that, but I think we also have to make a ser have a serious rethink about what that means, who owns that, who controls that, who doesn't control that. And I think this is where we are today with the various tokens, crypto, whether governments are going to digitize their money, et cetera, et cetera. Debate. So let's, let's spend a moment on this uh, because I think it's crucial for this audience to understand the idea of tokenization and how tokenization relates to blockchain. We have this record. The record keeps track of whatever we want it to keep track of, but one of the most fundamental things that it keeps track of is who owns what. Uh, and we use that for digital currencies and, and the first incarnations of blockchain uh, around uh, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and other digital currencies. It's a ledger uh, and it keeps track of uh, how many Bitcoin I have, how many Bitcoin you have, uh, and any transactions that exist between the two of us. But what people recognize pretty quickly is once you can tokenize currency, you can also tokenize anything. You can assign value yeah. to, as you were saying, a house or a car uh, or a piece of equipment. The opportunities are, are pretty limitless. And that same principle, again, applies to content that communicators are creating and, and a lot of the companies here are creating. Are we seeing new attempts to take content and register it on blockchain and use blockchain as the mechanism for assigning ownership uh, and uh, moving that content around among different stakeholders? The short answer is yes, it's happening across industries. But mm -hmm. I mean, Josh, from a legal standpoint, it does pose challenges, no? It does. Um, before I jump in, I guess, to some legal points, although not legal advice still, uh, definitely, <laughs> if you think about like the music industry or other industries where you may have royalties, right? Those are sort of natural, some say, places where you might want to have something on, blockchain, on a blockchain and then be able to separate out the various types of ownership and the various types of permissions. So there's a lot of flexibility. I guess I, I can talk a little bit about some of the challenges with respect to regulations, but I also, um, it might be helpful for a second, unless this has already been done separately, just to sort of describe what a digital token is. Please. Mm. When I hear tokenization, I don't know about you guys, but I somehow think about things like turning into a coin, and that's not what happens, right? If you think of a digital token and you don't think of a coin or a Chuck E. Cheese token, something like that, or a video game arcade, right? If you think instead of a string of numbers, just like your credit card number or any other series of numbers, and you think about it that way, it really helps to, to really describe why there are so many different types of tokens and why some of, the, some of the rules and the laws around the tokens may be less than clear at times. Because you could say things, I'll give a few examples. When you bring home a big box software, right? the first thing you do when you're installing it, if I recall correctly, is you put in a key, right? a key code. OK, so that could be a token, right? If I, if I am having tokens and I want to offer them and sell them and say this is a license to use my software, you can see how that string of numbers might work that way. Similarly, you could have a string of numbers and you could say anyone who's holding one of these numbers is going to get $5 from me or they're going to get a vote or you know, any number of things. They're going to be able to belong to Sandra's fan club, you know, things like that. 
Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can structure these. And the tokens themselves don't of themselves have any characteristics other than that they're numbers until you ascribe them to them. So when we talk about tokenizing assets, it's not that the condo becomes somehow a coin right, or a token. It's that the number, the string of numbers, or however you want to describe it, on the digital distributed ledger is going to represent, and we're going to agree that it represents a condo or something like that. Um, so I think I just want to mention that for a moment. Well, I think that's a, a really crucial point. And again, as we talk through some of the applications for blockchain technology, once we have this architecture in place, you can use it in a wide variety of different applications. So there are companies in this room that are using blockchain in their supply chain. Mm -hmm. Why would you need blockchain in, in your supply chain? Uh, and, and Sandra, I don't know whether you can speak to that for us. Yeah, so for anyone who thinks that blockchain is just for the financial services industry, that is absolutely not the case. It is now permeating across government processes, healthcare, energy, you were just at a major energy conference. Um, it's, per, it's literally pervasive. It's anywhere that you think, or a group of people think that a blockchain could be utilized to basically either uh, create trust um, data or transactions or improve security. It's actually usually all of the above, all the benefits that were just listed up on this screen. And it helps to streamline processes that can be automated, as I mentioned before. So when I think of use cases that are outside of financial services, supply chain is a classic one. And UN Corp, which is a company you probably never heard of because it's a startup, just co-founded it um, a number of months ago with a colleague um, who's an MIT entrepreneur in residence. And we're focusing on a blockchain for social good project, which is how can we help rural, rural farmers sitting mainly uh, in developing nations with price transparency and the ability to negotiate better physical commodities pricing. And here's why, and this is the important part, which is You'd be shocked, some people are shocked to know that in $10 of value of a supply chain in physical commodities, how much do you think the farmer is actually getting? There's a lot of leakage in the middle. There's a lot of opacity for a reason, because all those people in the middle, they like to take advantage of that. And that's what's happening today, pretty much across every physical commodity you can think of. And that finished product that um, you know, the big buyers buy, they pay the $10 of value but at the end of the day, maybe the farmer's getting a dollar or less. What we're trying to say is, look, with blockchain, let's improve that supply chain transparency element where maybe perhaps one day we could have $2 go into the pockets of the farmer and we're not gonna change the $10 necessarily. Um, that means a lot to the person who sits on that source side of the um, supply chain. And that's just one example of many others. Um, there's a wonderful company called Chronicled who's working on IoT plus smart contracts plus blockchain in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, they've got a number of different projects that they're working on, but the one that I like the best, uh, I like to talk about, is they have these stickers. And the stickers have a temperature range. And there are certain vaccinations in the world um, that get sent to Africa or to other developing nations where the efficacy literally goes to zero if it goes out of the temperature range. Well, guess what? A lot of vaccinations, you have no idea where it's gone from point A to point B to point C, whether they've, it's actually gone out of the temperature range. And therefore, when it gets to point C, the efficacy is gone, so you might as well not administer it because the whole box is just deteriorated. 
Um, imagine a sticker that could then alert you if that's happened. Um, that's possible. So there's a real world application. So let's take this concept now and apply it to information. I was invited a few weeks ago to go out and meet with the senior leadership of one of the world's largest social networks. And they are facing a big challenge, which will not be news to anybody in this room, of uh, bad information percolating through their systems. And their question is very similar to Sandra's vaccine example. They need to be able to track information as it moves through the system. They need a supply chain for information, which is something that really doesn't exist on the internet right now. Josh, help us think this through. How can blockchain be used to harness the challenges facing communicators right now as they try to ensure that accurate information reaches their stakeholders? Well, I guess if I, if I draw a parallel to say, um, say you wanna know where your favorite champagne is from. You know, you think it's from the Champagne region of France because it's called Champagne, but is that really where it came from, right? With blockchain and the ability to track, as Sandra said, you can, you can actually determine where something came from and the entire chain of title along the way. So if you could do that with information and you could somehow know where it initially was input and each place it may have changed along the way, then you can maybe unpack a little bit of the whisper down the lane that we might have and that we might experience in real life. And I think maybe, um, I know Sandra, you mentioned smart contracts. Should we? Please. Describe those yeah. for a moment. Okay, so it's really great that we have this database, if we just wanna call it that for a moment, where we have data input, okay? But what do you do with that once it's in there, other than having a, a so-called, we'll say, immutable record? Well, one thing you can do is you can have a smart contract, and that sounds very fancy, and it sounds very smart, but really, at the end of the day, it's a computer code. Right? It may or may not be enforceable. We have years and years of corporate law to determine whether it is in fact a contract, but it's computer code. You may have a natural language component that goes along with it, which we can talk about, I guess, a little bit later. But I'll give two examples of smart contracts. One is having nothing really to do with blockchain, but it's just a classic example that's given, which is the idea of a vending machine. So if you put in a dollar, whatever it's up to these days, and you press the button, if the machine is working, you'll get your bag of chips. You don't need us to collect the money. Yep, it's there. Now I'm gonna give you the bag of chips. It just happens if, if it's working properly. So that's the idea behind a smart contract. It uses if-then logic to cause the happening of something upon the happening of another thing. Another example might be, uh, I think it, sometimes it's described as travel insurance. So what if there was a way that you could have, as soon as the passenger manifesto, or manifest, whatever it's called, for your flight determines that you're not there, you automatically get a payout, right? If you could have something like that, just automating, self-executing contracts, there's a lot of stuff you can do with data in the blockchain. Now you may say, well, but the fact that I'm not on the plane, that's not gonna be in the blockchain or in a blockchain. And you're right, and that is why you would go to an outside source, and if you ever hear descriptions called data oracles, that's really what that is. A data oracle is something outside of the blockchain that the parties 
to a smart contract have determined can be trusted and will give data to, so that you know whether the if has occurred. That could be a certain interest rate, that could be the score of a game, that could be whether you're on the flight. That's just some terminology. So you're, you're raising another really critical challenge for communicators here, Josh, which is that many of the organizations in this room are already experimenting with blockchain solutions. Many more are going to uh, deploy blockchain solutions in the course of coming years. At the moment, there is an entirely new vocabulary that exists around these technologies. And frankly, the people who came up with these terms did not consult any of the folks in this room when they were doing so. <laughs> and, and this creates a bunch of big challenges, going back, frankly, to square one. I mean, if you yeah. want a really lousy term with a lot of bad imagery, blocks and chains, <laughs> it's not really where you would pick yeah. up if you are looking for a technology that's gonna promote accountability <laughs> and transparency. So you know, for, for both of you, what do the communicators in this room need to do in order to get ahead of that, and, and frankly, the other side of this is, how can they help this new field shape a vocabulary and a lexicon that is gonna make sense to people? Next time, we'll get into what blockchain means to us as communicators, what it means for our enterprises, and our ability to build trusting relationships with stakeholders. Special thanks go to The Home Depot and to our podcast partner, Rivet Smart Audio, for their support in making this season of the new CCO possible. Thanks for tuning in, and make sure to subscribe to catch the latest episodes. That's it for this one. We'll see you next time.